Good morning. Happy Mother's Day to all you moms who are here. Uh, sorry we couldn't get the sun out for you today. We, we tried as hard as we could. I asked Michael to get on that. He failed, but it's okay. <laughs> Appropriate discipline will be taken. Uh, I do want to acknowledge uh, at this time, you know, with Mother's Day, there is no way to express how indebted we are to our moms. I think most of us would agree and acknowledge that our moms have outdone themselves in giving compared to what they've received from us. Has anyone here outgiven their mom as far as love? And no, I didn't think so. If you raise your hand, you're in dangerous ground. I wouldn't do it. <laughs> And with that, there is a great, you know, reason to give you just this honor in this day. And at the same time, I know that there are those who have lost their moms and this day is difficult for them and difficult, more difficult still, are those moms who have lost children. And I recognize that this day also brings a burden and a, a sadness of heart. But I'd like to pray for the moms right now. If you have born a child, would you stand up so that we can acknowledge you and pray for you? And God bless you. Again, we, we are grateful for your love and your giving that has been sacrificial. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for the love that comes through our moms, Father, the, the love that you give them, that flows through them to, to us. And Lord, I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would minister to them. I pray that you would strengthen them. I pray you'd bring comfort and healing to those who are hurt at this time. And Lord, once again, we acknowledge that you are the giver, Father. You Gather us as a mother hen gathers her chicks under the wings, Lord. And even as our moms have taken us in, Lord, you take us in as well. Father, be our God. Thank you again for these moms. Bless them, I pray this day, as we acknowledge their sacrifice of love. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, thank you, moms, so much. You know, I, I often tease my wife because as a mom, I just tease her about how much moms worry. Moms are constantly worrying, but again, they're constantly loving. And I think the two go hand in hand. But, you know, all those times that I tease her about, you know, you worry about things that aren't even here yet. Don't worry about that. But it's part of being a mom. You love so much that you think in those things and you worry in those things. Um, as we get started this morning, we're going to be starting a new series. The series is called Who We Are. And about seven months ago, eight months ago, I went through a series called As He Is, Being and Making Disciples. And it was a four-part series where I talked about what it was to be a disciple of Jesus and how Jesus made disciples and how we are to follow in his pattern, that we are to make disciples even as he did, and it was the Great Commission, 
And today what we're doing is going to be kind of picking up where we left off on that study. That study we had going into the Crave series that we did a while back. And so we went through those four studies and went into the Crave series on Thursday nights. Well, we're going to do a similar thing here. This series that we're going through the next four weeks is going to lead into the Strength Finders as we talk about who we are and what that looks like. And so what I wanted to do is make available the series that we did about seven months ago. So we have three of them right now, because I didn't know if anyone was going to buy them. Um, But we have three of them in the back. It's four CDs of the series that we did, As He Is Being and Making Disciples. It's available for $10. $10 just covers the cost, maybe. Uh, Just so you guys know, we're not trying to make money. In fact, we're actually going to be putting these online as well so that if you want to go to our website, you can go and look them up and find them online. They're out there. Um, Is that right, Gil? We're going to be doing that. So that's another way you can do that for free. But if you don't have access to the web and you still have just a CD player and you would like to go through that, these are available in the back. And I just wanted to let you guys know that. So that as we go through this, you can kind of get where we've been and what we are doing, where we are going in this endeavor, because we really want to move forward as we look at now that we have become followers of Jesus Christ, who are we? What are we supposed to be like? And we're going to cover a few different areas. We're going to talk today about how we think. And if you have your Bibles, you can open it to Romans chapter 8. This is kind of talking about just who we are, our identity. As I spoke through the discipleship series, we talked about the, the greatest commandment. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment, Lord? If all the things that we need to know, what is the most important? And Jesus cited Deuteronomy and Leviticus, he decided, he recited the Shema, Hear, O Israel, Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Leviticus, he quotes, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And we talked about how our hearts, the core of who we are is to to be devoted to God, that our soul, the seat of our emotions, our minds, how we think, our strength and our actions, what we do, all these things come together as we honor God with our lives. And our lives were meant for this. I ended that series with a story of a a gentleman whose name was Neil Cole. And Neil, when he was 12 years old, went to Africa with his brother and his family. And they got to stay in this hotel that was up in a tree that was overlooking a watering hole where all the animals would come and get water. And that's where they got to stay and observe all these animals. And as he's writing in this story, he tells about how They were safe from a lot of the animals, but the monkeys, baboons, they could get up in the trees. In fact, they were told by the hotel that you need to keep your windows closed because you will have visitors if you don't, and they will take everything. One day he was out on one of the balconies, and he saw this baboon that went and reached into this lady's purse and was going to take the camera, and he got this bright idea that he would grab the baboon by the tail. And so he did. The baboon turned to him and he said the teeth were as big as his arm. He immediately let go and the baboon took the camera and ran off. And he said it was just amazing and terrifying that moment. He also spoke about how he was walking down 
the hotel into another place that was nearby. And on his way back to the hotel, he saw a bunch of people waving at him. And he wasn't sure what they were doing. They were just very animated and they were telling him either to go back or to come hurry up. And so he just quick picked up his pace. He got back to the hotel. And as he got back to the hotel, they told him, there was a leopard stalking you. And they had a sharpshooter there who was ready to take out the leopard if the leopard was going to attack him. But he made it to the hotel safe. And he was thinking, boy, the stories I have to tell when I get back to school. Boy, the excitement that I've experienced. You know, I've gone out on safaris. We've been chased by rhinoceroses. I've seen giraffes. I've, sun- I've done and seen so many things. It's incredible. Now, Neil's brother was also there, but Neil's brother didn't go on the safaris. Neil's brother didn't go out. Neil's brother stayed in the hotel and read books about Africa. And I talked about how that is so much like many of us. We read the stories about Jesus, but we don't step into the reality of what it is to live and follow after Jesus as a disciple. We're content to just read the book when there is an adventure waiting to be lived, to be had, that we are to participate in. And so how do we move forward in this? Who are we as disciples? And in Romans chapter 8, verse 12 and 17, this is going to be kind of our hub passage that we talk about through this series. It says, Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation... But it is not to the flesh. I know the New International Version says sinful nature. We don't have split natures. We, we have the flesh, but we don't have another nature. Our nature, if we've been devoted to Jesus, is the nature that Christ has given us. And so I prefer the other translations, American Standard and others, that says the flesh. And so we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you do put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And so here we see that there is this incredible identity that belongs to us. It is a, a heritage. We are now heirs of God. That's a little overwhelming. We are joint heirs to Christ. We have a citizenship that now is in heaven. This is who we are. This is our identity. How do we live in this identity? How are we going to move forward understanding that this is our place? This is how God sees us and how we are to see ourselves. And so as we go through this identity of who we are, we're going to talk about four different things. We're going to talk about how we think. Is God paramount in our focus? We're going to talk about what we believe, how we are his workmanship, 
messengers. We are his disciples. What we do, how we proclaim the things that we believe through our actions, through our words, and what we should expect. How God is magnified, people are reached, and our community is changed by these things that we do. And as we go through these things, we want to culminate it with the strength finders that help us to discover these ways that we can do all these things a little bit better. And so that's what's my desire to do here. And as we look at these things and we look at our identity, it's important to realize that God sees so much more in you than perhaps you see and acknowledge in yourself. And a lot of times we fail to recognize the things that are available to us, how there is so much potential within us if we would live according to these things that God has instructed us in. In Acts chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, it says, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. They were called Christians. They didn't call themselves Christians. Other people called them that. The idea Christian means like Jesus, little Christ. And so people saw Paul and Barnabas, heard the things that they were saying, and they said, those people are like Jesus. They're doing the things that Jesus did. We see what Jesus was in them. And this is something that they did because of what they believed. Now, it's sad, but today, you know, early Christ followers were identified with Jesus and the world called them Christians, but today we identify ourselves as Christians and the world calls us hypocrites because we fail to step into the actions that Jesus did. We fail to, to take the things that we know further. And so our belief becomes very cerebral. We have this idea of what it means to be a Christian And we think about that and we think that that's enough. And we don't realize that what we think and how we see these things makes a difference in the things that we do. I heard the quote that change your thoughts and you will change your world. And I wonder if sometimes we don't realize that there is an inheritance, there is an identity that we belong to God that is to be produced in our lives and we think that being a Christian is just believing, just knowing about. And we're like the kid in Africa who just reads books instead of experiencing the work of God in our lives. They did a test at this university. In one of the lectures... They had the professor was absent and they brought in a substitute. And I love these tests when the kids don't know what's going on and they're kind of a part of this experiment. And as this guest professor came in, they gave each of the students a little biography on what this professor was. And it gave all his credentials. He's a graduate from MIT. They were doing a a study on or a lecture on uh, economics And all these students got this little bio, except there was a change. 50% of them got a bio. 
that said, many perceive this professor as being cold. The other one said, many perceive this professor as being friendly. Everything else was exactly the same except one word said cold, the other word said friendly. And they gave that to the students that were there. They all sat through the same lecture. At the end of the lecture, they wanted the students to give a little synopsis of what they thought. We want you to critique this professor. Tell us what you thought about his lecture. Everyone who got the little bio that said he was cold said that they didn't connect to him. They didn't really get him. They didn't feel that he was warm and they didn't really like him. Everyone. And everyone who got the little bio that said he was friendly said, oh, I really connected to him. Thought he was great. I loved him. All that was different was one word. That one word influenced the entire group that got the word cold and the entire group that got the word friendly. One word and how they thought about this professor as they went into this lecture changed how they got or what they got from this lecture. Now think about this. What will change us? What word can we give that will prompt us to think of ourselves in a different way? Is it the word heirs? Is it the word sons, daughters? Is it the word co-heirs? What will help us to see our position and our God and to step into this role that he has for us? What can we do that will change how we think? What things can capture our attention and our mind? In Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 4, it says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Think about that. Let's allow these words to, to shape what we do. Since, meaning past tense, you have been raised with Christ. This is where you are positionally right now. You have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And so Paul is telling the, the church to set your heart, set your mind on things that are above. What does he mean by set? It means to seek earnestly. It, it is set your compass on the things that are above. Your life is to be pointed in this direction. And it's set in that direction. When I think of the word set, I think of cement and how cement has to set. And before it sets, you can carve your name in it, you can put your fingerprints in it, your footprint in it. But once it's set, that's it. And so we have to have our lives determined on the things above, our affections on the things above above. Now, what does that look like? Because it's easy to say, well, yeah, I need to set my affections on the things above. Okay, so what? I think about God. And when Paul says we need to pray without ceasing, well, I don't know how we do that. I mean, how do we pray without ceasing? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Jesus said. 
Okay, how, how do we do that? Do I, does that mean I have to always be thinking about God? What are you asking me to do, Sam? What does this look like? How does this translate to? When we set our minds or our affections on something, it, it means that that is the direction that we are heading. It doesn't mean when you're watching the Lakers lose, you're thinking, oh, God. Well, you might be, but it's not the, the same thing. When you are engaged in an activity, you're not thinking, oh, I'm just thinking about God as I'm watching the basketball game, as I'm eating the hamburger, as whatever it is. But it means your life is still moved in that direction. And I was thinking about when we delivered our children. It's the royal we. You know, my wife really did. I was there. And as we were in that hospital room, waiting for those kids to be born, as the labor pains were coming, when those labor pains would hit, all our attention was on that baby. What this baby's doing, this baby's coming out. But then there would be a break. Now they have rooms and they have the TVs in the room. They have music. And when the labor pain subsides, you might be talking about names, you might be watching TV. You might talk about, did you get my toothpaste in the bag? Or is so-and-so going to watch the other kids? All these other things are going on. But sure enough, time is going to come again when you are going to think about baby. Because it is all about baby. Why? Because that is the focus. Can I get an amen from any moms out there? So all these other things that come in your life don't stop. The main focus of this time here is about baby. I thought I'd use this illustration for Mother's Day. Thought, you, know, you moms would appreciate that. And so your life goes on. You have other things that you think about. You might you know, be chewing on some ice. You might be talking about this. But boom, here comes that pain. And it's all about baby. And it happens every three minutes, every two minutes. Pretty soon, it's time. You see, our lives are focused, are set on the things above. We have other things that take place in our lives, but it's all about God. It's all about Him. This is our destination. This is where we will be like Him. And so, what this looks like in our lives when we have this mindset that thinks how we think about God and how this affects our life, it, it doesn't mean that I'm always thinking about God. I'm always thinking about church. I need to, to read my Bible constantly. It means that your focus, your destination is set. And that destination shows up time and time again. God's not asking you to change your vocation. God's not asking you, you need to stop playing basketball. And you need to think about me all the time. Stop riding your bike. Stop doing all these other things. And I think we just have it in our minds sometimes that, well, when it talks about being devoted and being a disciple and setting my mind on Christ, that means that's all I do and I just become this kind of, you know, like, what are those people who go up on the mountains, you know, yeah, monk or guru or, anyway, you get the idea. You know, I'm one of these people, that's all I do. I don't have any life, it's only this life. 
of thinking about God. But you see, it's a life that as I am a mechanic, I don't think God says, no, you became a mechanic? Oh, I can't use you now. You work for the IRS? Well, that's a different story. <laughs> Leave that one alone. You see, it doesn't matter what the vocation is. It matters what you are in that vocation. I don't think God so much cares about what you're doing as far as vocation. I think he cares about how you're doing what you're doing. Is he showing up? Because there's going to be times in that vocation where he needs to show up and be a part of your life because your mind is set on the things above. Here comes the birth pain. My mind is set on the things of God. Here comes the opportunity to honor God with that vocation. Why? That birth pain, that mind set on the things above, it's a part of who we are. It is that recognition of this is our nature. This is who we are as followers of Christ. And so we set our mind on those things. We, we are focused on these things. And God wants to affect our lives so that they affect the lives of others. I went to, uh, a few years back, there were uh, a set of Christian professors at the Claremont Colleges, and they got together and I did the music for them, and they were doing a, a little lecture on what it meant to take your faith and to apply it to your profession as a professor and as a teacher. And it didn't mean that you changed the things that you taught. If you were a history teacher, you needed to teach history. If you were a science teacher, you needed to teach science. It wasn't that, okay, we're going to put down our books and let me preach to you about Jesus. It was, how does Jesus show up in your profession as a teacher, as a professor, in the things that you do? Because we are all influenced by what we believe. And it talked about how you see these things, how you see science, how you see the things that you're involved in, how God shows up in your life. That needs to be something that is expressed naturally through the things that you do so that it's not something other than. It's just a part of who you are. An example that has been, I think, clear is there is a group of people who firmly believe that God is a part of the design, that abortion is wrong. Now, they don't go into the schools and say, we're against abortion. The Bible says that life is sacred. We are against those things. They go in and they do a four-dimensional development of the baby as it's in the mom's womb and as it grows in there. And now the students see this little baby growing up. And as they see this take place, they're able to see design. And they say, wow, that's amazing. They never say, we're Christians, we're here to do these things so that you will not you know, have an abortion. They go into the health class, show the development of the baby because they believe life is sacred. And then the students come away and say, oh my goodness, that's a baby. You see, the way, the way they're thinking is just allowing God to be a part of the things that they do. And it affects the people that they interact with. And they have more effect on those 
young girls who are pregnant than the people who are picketing outside the school or outside the abortion clinic. They have more effect by just thinking how they present their life and their faith in Christ. And this is what we are called to do, is to allow God to show up in our lives and the things that we think and to do it in a way that is a part of whatever it is you do. If you're a teacher, you have a part-time job, 40 hours a week to teach. You've got a full-time job, a follower of Christ. You've got a part-time job as a mechanic. You've got a full-time job as a follower of Christ. You see, when they saw those disciples and the things they did, and they said, they're like Christ. They were doing everyday things. They were just talking to people like Jesus talked to people. Paul, when he made tents, when they did the things that they did, they represented Jesus. And what God wants us to do is where we are at right now with the things that you like to do, the desires that you have that God has put in, in, into you. God wants to use those things and bring honor to himself. And they can be anything. And this is where we have to get out of the mindset that, well, to, to make a difference, I have to be in ministry. Or I has to be connected to, quote, the church. You see, remember this. You are the church. This isn't the church. You are the church. We are the church. The church isn't a social organization. The church is the difference that God's using to make a difference in the people, and that's us. That's each of us. And so I, I, I hope that we will start to think that my life and God being a part of my life is to influence what I do, how I do it, in a way that brings honor to him. That God has given me these abilities, these talents. I need to use them in a way that bring honor to him, that show that I am a, a follower of Jesus. I need to be an honest mechanic, an honest used car salesman. Imagine. I remember when I was selling lumber and I would sell to the people who were, you know, buying lumber, different furniture makers and those things. There was a lot of people who lied. It was easy to bump the tallies where you would, you know, take the wood that you shipped to them and you would add 7% and they would call it a mill tally. They invented these things. It was illegal, but they would do it so that it would bring their price down because they were selling them basically less. They said they sold them 1,000 feet. It was really, you know, only 800 and something. And so it seems like they got a great price. And I remember going to this one person and it was, this guy never me measured his lumber. He never tallied it. It'd be so easy to just lie. It'd be so easy to just tell him, you know what? 
I'll do that too and my price will be cheaper now. It was so tempting because then I would get a commission check and then I could go and, and buy food, you know, and I could do the things that I wanted to do. And I remember having that battle within me saying, oh man, this guy's being lied to. He never checks his tallies. I, I can do this. I can go in there and I can get the business. But I can't. That's lying. That's against the law. That's not right. And so what I did is I went and I taught him how to measure his lumber. I said, hey, Mr. Gomez, come here. Let me show you. Does that, can, it was perfect because they just brought a unit there. And I said, look, at this is how you measure to see how much wood you have. I said, according to my measurements, you have this much wood. And he goes, no, they sold me this much. Well, I'm just telling you, how much is here? I just gave education to him, told him this. This is what it is. This is how you do it. And now I came across looking good. Why? Because I taught him something. Instead of cheating him, I educated him. And I remember when I left the lumber industry and went to go work at a church, that I, there was a, about five customers that I had where they told me, you know, the reason we bought lumber from you is because we trusted you, because we knew that you were honest with us. And they thanked me for that. And those are the kinds of things that show up in our lives. As opportunity came and I talked to them about my faith and why I was going to be leaving, and they said, well, that's one of the reasons we bought lumber from you is because we knew we could trust you. I didn't have to cheat. I had to honor God where I was. And it gave me a voice. It also got me some sales, which was cool. You know, idolatry, we talked about that in the series that I did, the idolatry of consumerism. And we get so caught up in this world, even as Colossians talks about, don't set your affections, your minds on the things of this world. Jesus said the same thing, that if we put our treasure on this world, then moth can eat, rust can destroy, thieves can come in and steal. But if we set our treasures in heaven, those things can't happen. And we are exhorted to have the right perspective. Think the right way. Allow God to be an influence in your life in all these areas so that he can change us and produce these things in us. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, another scripture, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. What is God's mercy? It's those things we talked about early in Romans, that, that Jesus has made us his family. To offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. By the renewing of our mind, change the way you think about God and his influence in your life. Change the way you think about what your role is to be in this world around us. Change the way you think so that this world is not the place where you use and consume, 
But this world becomes a place where you get to invest the things of God. And instead of trying to get all we can from this world that is passing away, we have treasure in heaven. Do we believe that? Do we really live as if that was the case? Or are we consumed with these things? What do you think? How do you think about these things? About this world and all it has to offer and what God has to offer? And how is that going to shape what we do? Because if we think the right way, if we renew our minds and set our affections, our hearts and our minds on the things that are above and not the things of this earth, then we will move forward in a way that people will look at us and they will say, they're Christians. And they won't call us hypocrites. They're acting like Jesus. And our lives will constantly go through those labor pains where we say, okay, it's about you, God. My affections are there. I'll go through and go to the basketball game. Come on, Lakers, you can do it. No one's done it four in a row, but you can. I have faith. <laughs> and you'll enjoy your life and you'll enjoy the things that you do and you'll be the best at what it is you, you do, as best as you can be, whether it's a salesman, whether it's a nurse, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a student, you will do it as good as you can, enjoy it as much as you can, and then there will be the, the child-bearing pains that will remind you, this is my direction, this is my focus, so that all I do is taking me still in that direction. Because what we don't need are more preachers. What we don't need are more clergymen. What we need are more teachers who are set in the right direction. What we need are more doctors who are set in the right direction. What we need are more salesmen who are set in their minds in the right direction. What we need are more nurses. You name it. Whatever your profession is. Students who have their minds set in the right direction. What we need are people who are focused and moving in the right direction and take this faith with them so that people will see the things that we do and say, they're like Jesus. And will call us Christian because what we believe influences what we do. And so I, I pray that this morning helps you to, to think about how you think about God and what he has for you. What does that look like? That you would kind of flesh it out so that you would, God, here I am. This is what I do. What am I supposed to do with it? How do you show up in this? And allow your life to point in that direction where people see, even though you are any of these things, they have Jesus. Let's pray. Father, you tell us over and over again that we are to 
take our thoughts captive, that we are to renew our minds, that we are to think on these things. And the truth is, Lord, I, I think many times we only think about these things when we come on a Sunday morning or a Thursday night or we're involved with some kind of religious thing. When we leave this place, those thoughts many times can, can leave with them. But I pray that this morning we would set our hearts and set our minds on seeking after you always, continually, that it would be a part of our DNA. You have made us your heirs, your children. We, we belong to you. We are in your family. You are our home. Our destination is with you. And so on this journey, may we keep that focus. May we keep that setting. May we not lose direction. May we not be led astray or detoured to something that doesn't produce a life that can be connected to you. May we redeem this name Christian and what it means. May we indeed be identified with you because, well, that's our focus. That's our thoughts. And may we enjoy our lives. May we do what we do to the best of our ability, always coming back to that place where you're a part of it. You're a part of everything we do. And may it shape us. May we wake up in the mornings and may we be mindful of you. May we go through our day and may our minds go back to you. In the evenings, our minds go back to you. That our thoughts constantly, like those labor pains, go back to you, come back to you. Because you are our God. You are our creator. You are our Father who has redeemed us. You are our destiny, God. And so throughout our lives, may we always be going back to you. And God, forgive us those times where you're just not in our thoughts. Not just for moments, not just for hours, but for days. We go by and we, we don't acknowledge that. Forgive us, Lord. May we constantly be coming back to you, setting our focus. Lord, may our thoughts be on you. I pray you would help us in this area, Lord. We thank you again for your faithfulness, your goodness, Lord. And I pray you would help us in this endeavor. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.